You're listening to Solar Insiders, a fortnightly update on the ins and the outs of the solar industry and what it means for solar owners and industry. With Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading solar industry veteran Nigel Morris. Solar Insiders is brought to you by Clanergy, providers of innovative, high-quality solar solutions to the world. SunWiz, Australia's leading service provider to the solar and storage industry. And Solar Analytics, helping you get more from your solar, more confidence, more savings and more insights. Hello and welcome to the very latest episode of the Solar Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy and of One Step Off The Grid and of the EV-focused The Driven. And joining me as usual is co-host Nigel Morris from Solar Analytics. Nigel, you've been to a conference. Sure have, sure have. Uh, just uh, just home a little while ago, actually. Uh, two days of conferencing at the International Convention Centre in Sydney, Drury, which is a dream come true for anyone at a conference because it means installers are more likely to come. <laughs> so that was the Energy Next conference combined with the Australian Clean Energy Summit. So um, many people there, and what was the atmosphere like? Um, any change from the last conference you went to a couple of months ago? Well, so it, so I have to say from the from the get go, the Energy Next Expo, uh, the conference hall, um, which is where I was with the booth, was a first uh, that hasn't been held before. So that was a bit of an experiment for everyone, and it was actually pretty. Pretty good. There was um, it certainly wasn't of the scale and and you know volume that we see at other conferences, um, but it was the first time it's been held. Uh, it was not long after you know it was only a month or two back that we had Smart Energy in Sydney, um, so you know we expected the numbers to be down a bit, but it was pretty good actually. It was actually better than most people expected. Uh, it was a good mix of people. Um, we had some people coming over from the Clean Energy Summit uh, to have a walk through. Plus we had. A good mix of retailers and installers, and um, I have to say, everyone sort of walked away feeling pretty good about it. Yeah, so it was good. And what's the vibe out there on business? Um, is business picking up? Um, we're seeing massive sort of. Um, well, I don't know whether anyone's actually got their bills yet from the um, from, from the rises from July the first, but there'd be a bit of a shock when they do. But um, how's the uptake of solar panels and battery storage going? Yeah, so lots, uh, lots on that actually, uh, and I'm not going to give away too much because I did a great live recording uh, just this afternoon actually for GSB that'll come out next week where we talked about this in detail. But suffice to say, the vibe overall uh, was upbeat. Uh, leads are strong, sales are strong, and uh, big shout out to uh, one of our sponsors. In fact, Sunwiz Warwick Johnston came and bailed me up and said, "Nige, check out these stats." And I uh, had some very, uh, very excited statistics for me. And um, number one uh, was that um, the attachment rate of batteries has hit an all-time high, about 18% last month, uh, according to his stats. That's, that's pretty... That's, um, that's not the entire market and... Uh, Sorry, sorry, Nigel. That's pretty amazing. Um, just, just something for listeners. We're actually on a different platform. This, 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 this is the first episode on the new platform. And the scary prospect about it is that we're actually looking at each other on a video channel at the same time as recording. And this has never happened before. It's all a bit weird. weird so, so weird. <laughs> if, if you detect a different vibe, then then that, that kind of explains it. And um, for some reason, I've got to go on mute every time I stop talking. And uh, anyway, we have a few interruptions. Anyway, tell us more. Eighteen percent battery take up. That's 
attachment. Pretty amazing. Yeah, it is. It is. It's the highest it's ever been. Uh, we've seen it. We certainly uh, grew quite strongly last year, but it's never been anything like that. Um, went from sort of four percent to ten percent to eighteen percent last month, and I suspect it's. In, in, uh, we we know, in fact, in some parts of the market, it's even higher than that. More interestingly, was sales conversion rates, and Warwick also showed me some uh, really great stats. This is from a presentation he gave, which unfortunately I missed, but he showed that the conversion rate of battery and solar sales is now higher than the conversion rate of just solar sales. Uh, and this is, the, so those two statistics are really, really interesting and they are indicative of everything that we're hearing anecdotally in the market. Uh, and it's certainly I'm experiencing, I've got an old neighbor who rang me the other day and said, Nige, you helped me get three kilowatts of solar two or three years ago. I want to add a battery. How do I add a battery? What do I do? Uh, my father-in-law, as I've previously mentioned, wants to add solar and battery. I've got another friend who said, yep, let's do... Uh, in fact, my brother-in-law wants to add a battery now. So anecdotally, I'm hearing it just around the traps. Talk to solar installers. They'll tell you the batteries are, are desperately uh, desperately being called for by uh, a higher proportion of customers. And now Warwick's stats are showing the same. So we, we had a really interesting conversation about this today because although, you know, if you look at it in pure economic terms, battery might not be necessarily, you know, the ultimate way to, you know, enhance the economics of your system. Doesn't matter. Stop worrying about it. Customers just want them. That's really interesting too. Um, I've always thought of batteries a bit like the sort of the um, the couch and the lounge rooms. They're sort of you know if you like it, you get it. You're not worried about the sort of the economic return, although um, many people many people would be. Um, what sort of onus then is there on sort of solar installers to actually sort of talk about the returns? Because I mean they're required to much more now in, um, in just for solar panels. To do, I mean it must be harder sort of working out how battery storage delivers a return, and and, and I'm guessing in most circumstances it probably doesn't. You're right. Uh, the big returns still come from solar. Uh, there's no doubt about that. But of course, the returns from solar now, with energy prices being so high, are getting better. Uh, right. So, so the economics on solar are good. And if you smudge them together, I don't know if that's a word, but if you, you know, blend the returns from a solar system and the returns from a battery system together. Uh, and the returns from uh, solar are improving all the time because of the cost of energy, then the return on the battery is going to be better too. So, you know, overall, you can show a pretty good proposition. But, you know, uh, and, and customers, some customers really want to know about that. They want to know if they're making a wise investment decision. But at the end of the day, what we're seeing right now is just this desperation, this hunger to get a battery in because they want this independent independence. They want to protect themselves from this rising cost of energy. And here's another one for you, Giles. Uh, the, one, of, one of the people I was talking to, I forget who it was, had had their bill come through. Their price had risen to 54 cents a peak per kilowatt hour, which is a pretty high price. And I was chatting to an installer about this during the conference. He said, you got... I got, I got, you got nothing, man. I saw a bill the other day that was 81 cents a kilowatt hour peak, right? 81 cents a kilowatt hour. Now, that might have been an, an extreme example. It might have been one of these retailers who's trying to ditch customers. But the, set, but the reality is that is the type of price that we're starting to see flow through now. While Giles finds the mute button. I knew that, Nigel. I knew that. <laughs> 
He was watching me talking away and couldn't hear anything. I can wave madly now, listeners. I can wave madly and <laughs> you can see me. Oh, dear. Um, what was I saying? Oh, I was actually saying that um, it's kind of ironic that um, uh, many consumers are now sort of looking that their solution to this sort of fossil fueled um, energy cost price crisis is, um, is more renewables and more storage. And um, a lot of people are thinking that way in terms of the bigger grid, although um, to get the scale of the conversion um, is going to take some time. But there's still people out there that sort of think that renewables are causing all of this, uh, Nigel. There's some um, some pretty funny business going on. Who are these people? Have you been watching Sky News again? I watched Sky News for the this week where they were saying that you know EVs were going to blow the grid up and clearly EVs have proven themselves to be a foe. It's only Sky News saying that, Joel. It doesn't matter. But what about this stuff about Russia and Germany and stuff like that? It's 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 on, it's, it's on our run sheet. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that is different, and and this this is really really interesting because uh, I think I mentioned I got invited to join a podcaster a month or so back now from some uh, financial advisors, in fact, who had already done the numbers. And in rough terms, in simple terms, uh, what they had said is, look, at twenty dollars a megajoule, you know, solar uh, certainly makes sense, and solar and storage starts to get close. Once you get to sort of that $40 a megajoule price for gas, gas no longer makes any sense at all. And in fact, solar and batteries are the best economic solution. It's the best thing. And so I, I spent a whole episode talking to these guys who are financial advisors about what that meant and could the supply chain keep up and was demand going to shift to Europe dramatically to to um, uh, you know to, to to cause a huge uptake a huge surge in renewables and that is all the talk right now and in fact uh, chatting with um, uh, Liam Ricketts today uh, uh, on on GSB uh, he talked about the fact that their suppliers are already saying look we're already shipping volume huge volume of storage batteries to Europe, particularly to Germany, uh, because people are trying to insulate themselves. And indeed, at the moment, as far as I know, the gas hasn't been turned back on by Russia. It's still turned off. So, you know, and we've already seen uh, as a a consequence of this, Portugal Portugal have brought forward their uh, their clean energy target. They've raised it to eighty percent by twenty twenty six. We've seen Germany announce an increased target to eighty percent, up from a sixty five percent by twenty thirty. That is that is you know eight years away. It's no time away at all, right? Um, um, And and so we're already seeing this transition happening, and we're actually seeing the ramifications of it already because supply is being sucked into that market uh, as a consequence of the, um, uh, the the gas pricing that we're seeing over in Europe. Yeah, it probably should be noted that um, Germany is accelerating its sort of medium to long-term targets, but over the short term it's got a few problems because it looks like the gas is going to be cut off and possibly cut off permanently. The uh, They were um, kind of sort of committed so much to getting ca- gas from Russia and now they've got to work out how to get, get around that over the next couple of winters. Um, so there's talk about sort of um, bringing some um, coal-fired power stations out of mothballing and possibly even extending their nuclear uh, life of the nuclear plants, um, which are supposed to turn the last three, I think, are supposed to turn off at the end of this year. But um, definitely, um, 
long term and medium to long term, I think um, basically everyone is just sort of um, talking about an acceleration to renewables and storage. Um, we had a really interesting interview on the podcast last week on the uh, Energy Insiders podcast. No, in fact, it was this week um, with David Skaysbrook from uh, Quinbrook Infrastructure Partners, which has been building um, the biggest solar and storage facility or what was the biggest solar and storage um, facility in the US when it was... Um, when it was um, landed a contract with the Nevada utility and he's even been building a 300 or he's just won a contract for a 300 megawatt solar and battery in the south of England in Kent so solar and battery storage even works there wow um fascinating to hear about um his views about just how that's competing um, he just sort of said, look, nothing can beat it, basically. Um, solar during the day, battery storage in the evening peak, particularly in summer in places like Nevada and stuff like that, a bit of a no-brainer. But he did point out, and I think um, you've got some things to add there, that right now, um, particularly in the US, the cost of solar modules and the cost of batteries, if you want delivery in the next 12 months, you're going to have to pay a fair premium over what you would have expected a while ago, and 30% in the case of solar and about 40% in the case of batteries. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right, and and um, yeah, we talked a lot about that today. In fact, about how you know, and, yep. Again, bring it back to Australia. Australia has the lowest prices for solar panels in the world. Has had forever. Uh, the lowest cost of deployed solar in many cases as well, certainly in residential space, uh, in the world, right? So we live in this artificial economy, uh, and in fact, there's a whole series of circumstances that have led this to be amplified um, in Australia uh, there was a lot there was an overstock situation for the first half of this year um, virtually everyone has acknowledged that now and as a consequence of that when wholesalers get overstocked what do they do uh, they they lower the price they potentially sell below the cost price to shift that stock so that they're not overstocked so the market has been benefiting from incredibly low prices despite uh, the fact that globally there's been some very, very strong demand. So, you know, what everyone's saying is that has to correct. And in fact, Liam rolled off a whole number of statistics. You know, foreign exchange has shifted negatively by something like 12 or 14%. Freight has come down a fraction, but it still remains very high. What we've gained on international freight reductions we've lost and so the price has gone back up again because of the cost of fuel so just you know getting trucks from the ports and and to the depots and to the warehouse and from the warehouse to the roof has all gone up dramatically um so there's there's all these interesting things going on and on top of that there's a really interesting scenario starting to play out in in china and there's been a couple of really interesting articles actually highlighting that uh, internationally they now suggest that something in the order of 15 percent of the solar companies who produce wafers, cells and modules in China are potentially a very, very high bankruptcy risk. Now, this plays out in all sorts of different ways, and that's it's only the wafers, cells and modules. That part of the, the global capacity in China is a roughly about double what the world consumes, so about 400 gigawatts of capacity versus about 200 gigawatts of demand. However, Polysilicon, the raw material where they're melting silicon and, and creating the, the raw material that's sliced up into wafers and then cells and then sandwiched into modules, the polysilicon industry, on the other hand, is experiencing the highest price in 12 years. Why? Because demand is growing. So when demand grows, price goes up. The, uh, and there's only a bit over, bit over 200 gigawatt 
uh, gigawatts of capacity in the polysilicon part of the industry. So it's it's not far off supply and demand. So you know the, the the consequence of all of that is the raw material. The primary input is the polysilicon that's gone up. Uh, in fact, it's gone up. I think uh, it went up. I think Liam was saying it's gone up three percent in the last couple of days. It's gone up about. 14% in the last uh, few months. Uh, so, you know, $40 a kilo versus $10 a kilo, just to give you a sense of it. So we've got really, really interesting dynamics going on in China. And, you know, what's going to happen in China, we don't know. You know, uh, if, if, if it all works out in terms of timing, it's great news for the Chinese industry because demand is clearly going to surge, whether it's in Australia or Europe or the US or anywhere else. Demand is going to grow. Demand is going to surge. So, you know, all this overcapacity in the in the wafer cells and modules is going to be taken up by, by demand to produce products. But the polysilicon price has to come down down a bit and they have to get new capacity online to make it all work out and at the end of the day Chinese industry makes about 98% of what's in the world so kind of like OPEC where you know they control the supply of oil to the world we are now finding ourselves in a situation where China controls the supply of renewable energy in the form of solar to the world and uh, so the supply and demand dynamics are getting really, really interesting. What does this all mean? It means two things for Australian solar buyers and solar installers. Number one, the price is going to go up, clearly. How much, we can't say, but the price is going to go up. It's going to adjust. It's going to correct. We're going to make up for the overstocking situation, and we've got these global dynamics in play. So uh, that's the sort of the, the, the bad news, I guess, if you like. The good news is even if it goes up a bit, it doesn't change the fundamental economics. It doesn't change the demand particularly. It doesn't change the hunger to get away from high energy bills. So it's going to be uh, it's going to be an interesting second half of this year. Interesting stuff indeed. We might just take a brief message from one of our sponsors. Sunwiz are Australia's leading service provider to the solar and storage industry. Sunwiz now offers a unique business-wide solution for solar retailers. Differentiate and automate your business with a tailored implementation that builds referrals. Visit somewhere.com.au forward slash accelerate and discover how you can boost your profits while working less. And we'd like to thank all our sponsors for their ongoing continued support of this podcast, including Solar Analytics, Sunwiz and Clenergy. Um, Nigel, just to take up on your point about the um, the supply chains and the sort of the domination of China, it's um, interesting that came up as a major issue at the Sydney Energy Forum, which was held last week in uh-huh. Sydney, um, held by the uh, federal government. Um, Albanese spoke, uh, Chris Bowen spoke, um, they had energy ministers from various parts of Asia and Europe, they had the head of the International Energy Agency, all expressing concern about um, about that domination that China has over the global supply of modules. Um, is there a case for solar manufacturing in Australia? I mean, we've had some of the greatest R&D and continue to do so. Um, can we realistically create a solar manufacturing industry in this country? Oh, that's a really good question. I actually heard a couple of re- really good people talking about this in conversation, and there's clearly a case. And, you know, I have to say, I hand it to China. They grabbed this opportunity by the 
short and curlies, took it, built the biggest industry in the world, got themselves in a, in a really, really powerful position. Um, and, and that was with a massive amount of investment, some pain along the way and, you know, everything else. But they have done a terrific job of getting themselves in this position. So, you know, I congratulate them and I commend them for that. Uh, can it work? Yes, it can. And in fact, you know, I listened to a conversation actually with my boss, Stefan Jansen, and he was talking about the fact uh, that he's been involved in building manufacturing facilities around the world. Certainly, there's benefits that you get by going massive, massive, massive and getting right up to, you know, five gigawatts or whatever it may be. But the, the benefit by going beyond one gigawatt is it starts to sort of starts to reduce. So there is certainly an opportunity for Australia to uh, play a role and to secure its energy future by building a lot more than we currently do in Australia. Um, it does require support. It does require investment. And every country in the world that is building PV at scale has had massive government support. It is a very, very challenging business and doubly so in Australia because we're not... We don't have a polysilicon refining industry here and so on. So, yeah, yes, it could be done. Uh, it would certainly add energy security. And it's a really interesting scenario, right, where if you go, well, hang on, energy security isn't about having vats of oil anymore. It isn't about having rail lines to dig coal out and big coal generators. Energy security is increasingly going to be about having our own PV uh, upstream industries to manufacture polysilicon and put cells and wafers and modules together in Australia. So I, I think there's a really good case, a really powerful case for creating new energy security in the new renewable energy world, which is only 90 months away, as I heard Chris Bowen say on your podcast. So, you know, I think there's absolutely a case for the expansion, the rapid expansion of uh, photovoltaics in Australia. Well, it'll certainly almost need to happen, particularly with some of those big projects like the Sun Cable 20 gigawatt project in Australia. It's hard to imagine that that would actually go ahead and import that amount of modules. Um, ditto with some of the big projects in Western Australia, the green hydrogen, green ammonia projects. I think there's about 26 gigawatts wind and solar in the Asia Renewable Energy Hub and 50 gigawatts wind and solar um, in the Western Green Energy Hub, um, both Western Australia. So you would think that if they're going to do stuff of that scale, then they're going to have to start building solar. I guess it's going to need some sort of in, in, impetus at the start. I mean, you mentioned China. I mean, they got they did that because they had the cheapest energy in the world and probably the lowest labour costs. Australia has the opportunity. You wouldn't think so now, looking at the um, the prices in the in the wholesale market. But the reality is that the cost of wind and solar is actually quite cheap. So if you've got these sort of massive arrays and you've got these new manufacturing precincts, then you actually are getting sort of low cost and zero emissions um, electricity which would be advantageous and so that could be a virtual cycle uh, virtuous cycle or virtual or virtuous or both cycle um, it's just a matter of actually just sort of getting it going and so that's going to be an interesting debate um, for those people there it, it certainly is. And, and I, I, another anecdote for you, great to have just come from a conference, but someone was telling me about visiting a very, very high-tech manufacturing facility uh, for solar modules in China. Um, and, you know, there was three people in this massive, massive, massive manufacturing facility and 
everything else was robotic. So it is entirely plausible to build a robotic facility now that you know a huge proportion of the actual manufacturing of the modules is done robotically. So it doesn't uh, labor cost of the ma- in the manufacturing cycle is not the pr- the primary input now. It's actually going to be capital cost around automation and robotics and everything else. But uh, that that's um, you know, but where you do get labor, that does not to say it's not a great employer because where you do get labor is to actually install them all and to get them physically connected up and everything else. So there's still a huge employment benefit, but to be competitive, you need factories that are really, really adaptable as technology changes. So you can keep adding new technology and recycling in new techniques and new technology, and it has to be hugely automated to keep up and to keep uh, to keep us globally cost competitive. Yeah, interesting. So um, just to um, let listeners know that, um, yeah, they should catch up if they're interested in, in some of those subjects. Um, David Skay's work from Quinn Infrastructure Partners on the Energy Insiders podcast this week. And, um, of course, the uh, the last episode of Great Solar Business and next week's episode of Great Solar Business. Nigel, how many, how many guests did you manage to uh, have you gathered together for that? <laughs> so, like, it was... <laughs> True story. I had uh, the inimitable. <laughs> just, just anyone you came across. <laughs> well, I had the inimitable David Leach lined up, actually, and we we're going to talk about the cost of energy. I think I titled it WTF is going on with energy costs in Australia. And uh, David and I were going to have a great old chat. And unfortunately, the day before the conference, he rang me and said, look, unfortunately, I'm not able to make it. He had a... Uh, personal scenario that uh, really was very important that he sorted out. So bless him, uh, he pulled out at the last moment. I quickly put my thinking cap on, tried to and, and roused it up to guests. Uh, one of them pulled out about 9 p.m. last night, unfortunately. So uh, my poor my poor guest Liam, I threw everything I had at him, but he did a he did a plum job. So uh, that'll go up next week. And 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 indeed, we had a great chat. I had a great chat with uh, Dr. Renata Egan, uh, awesome woman in solar massive global influencer on the topic of how to get grants, which uh, in the context of uh, what's going on in Australia right now is a really valuable topic because, you know, we need to accelerate uh, the uptake of solar and wind and and, and all renewables dramatically uh, in the next 90 months. So uh, get your thinking caps on, uh, use that initiative and go and and see if you can secure some grants and uh, have a good listen to what Renato's advice was. Excellent stuff. Now, what else we got on the menu for today, Nigel? Are we, um, I think we might have come to um, the end of the solar component of it anyway, unless you've got some other things to um, to tap in. I know the Clean Energy Regulator has pinged, um, pinged someone um, in the ACT, um, one business there, for sort of false declarations on... Um, on certificates, so that just shows that the monitoring and the pursuit and the um, and the prosecution of that sort of behaviour is continuing, which is um, which is good to see. Um, it is. Can you have a little tip it is. We should know about. Yeah, yeah, no, no, that was a really interesting case actually, because when I dug around with that company, I also noticed they'd been penalised in 2015 because someone was injured falling off a job site of theirs when they were installing solar panels. So this is not a first-time offence for this company. So I'm glad to see that the clean energy regulator finally was able to take some action. And it was also interesting because it was the clean energy regulator coming out very, very aggressively uh, uh, against uh, against a player. Um, and actually, I spoke with a number of people from the clean energy regulator who were floating around at the conference about 
what's coming up. And I think there's actually going to be a whole episode that I'm going to do for GSB about the changes that they see they need to put in place to help protect consumers and um, uh, uh, and to push through. So they're increasingly moving into the retail space uh, and trying to make sure that retailers are doing the right thing. The majority are, of course, uh, but they're, what they're really targeting is those uh, those that small handful of retailers that aren't doing the right thing. So, yeah, there was a lot lot being talked about over the last few weeks about that topic, and um, we expect to hear a lot more from the clean energy regulator. And certainly, if you're out there, you know the clean energy regulator. Uh, is watching very closely uh, what's going on out there and trying to set some examples. So um, stay vigilant. Cool. And it'd probably be good to... Um, I'd like to hear some more about some recycling stuff too, about the solar recycling. Might be having, good to have one of those on the um, on the GSB sometime. Oh, for sure. What do you reckon? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know a few people in the recycling game, so I reckon that would be a good conversation. We, I'll, I'll line that up for you, mate. I'll line that up. Um, are we jumping now to... <laughs> it's a special request. <laughs> There's, there's news in the uh, electric vehicle and motorcycle space. And I have to, big shout out to Graham, who I met today, and a couple of other people. There were a couple of people from the conference who said, oh, we listen to every episode. A couple of really big, smiling, enthusiastic faces in the audience. So lovely to lovely to meet people who uh, tune into Solar Insiders and Great Solar Business uh, every week. Uh, lots of nice things to be said about, uh, uh, about what we're doing here. So uh, great to hear people saying that. Um, but um, big news, I, I don't know if you picked up on this or not, John. I might be giving you a scoop here, but Tesla are planning to open up superchargers to non-Tesla owners uh, by the end of the year, according to a White House memo. It hasn't been officially announced by Tesla, but uh, they've got a bear around. Whereabouts? Whereabouts, Nigel? In the US. That's, well, they've already done it in Norway and the Netherlands and a couple of other places, and they're talking about it um, for the rest of Western Europe. So it doesn't surprise me. doesn't surprise me that they do that in the US. So... Um, my God, there are going to be a few queues, though. Well, yes, although um, you know Tesla has about 15% of all the charging stations in the US already. Um, and so if they open up, that's a that's a real bonus to everyone else. So according to a, a White House memo, at least, it would be interesting to say what Elon has to say about this. But uh, that's great news for, uh, for US uh, electric vehicle owners that that... Uh, um, Charging infrastructure will become available to them. Um, and uh, the other big news that I'm going to slip in here because, uh, you know, electric motorcycles are the best thing ever. Uh, not only uh, did I put a great story about Ed uh, Daman and who is currently traveling up the East Coast as we speak on his Harley Livewire, uh, doing a record-breaking trip in Australia, 3,500 kilometers uh, from Sydney to Cape Tribulation. And there'll be a, a podcast, a number of podcast episodes coming out about that. Uh, not only did that happen, uh, not only today, in fact, at Energy Next uh, did uh, Enphase and AC Solar Warehouse give away a live wire to one lucky uh, Victorian solar installer who bought some inverters and participated in their deal. So he walked away with a Harley live wire, very excited man. Not only did all of that happen, but Triumph Motorcycles last week also announced the details of their electric motorcycle. Uh, Triumph have been talking about doing something with electric for a while. Uh, sketchy stats, only a prototype. There's still a couple of years from production, but uh, really, really nice looking bikes and really, really interesting technology. They brought Williams in, uh, Formula One Williams, to help with the drivetrain and battery technology. Uh, they reckon they've done some amazing stuff on the motor. The specifications are looking really 
good early days. But, you know, here's another big-name brand. We've talked about Chikati moving into Moto E, and now we've got Triumph getting ready to um, to go to the next stage of development and bring an electric motorcycle to the market, another great electric motorcycle to the market, and um, all power to them. No, interesting stuff. Hey, just to go back on Tesla, um, my understanding is that Australia is also looking to open up its uh, Tesla superchargers um, to all comers. Um, whether that happens this year or next, I'm not too sure. They're certainly going to need a lot more superchargers because um, uh, Robin Denham, uh, the Tesla chair, gave one of the uh, more interesting speeches at the uh, Clean Energy Summit part of the conference this week and was talking about just the... Um, well, for one, she actually just revealed the number of batteries um, that have been sold in Australia, and I think it was about 30,000, 31,000, I think, um, had been rolled out, um, she said. Um, is that right? Like Powerwall batteries? Powerwall batteries, yes. Wow. Excuse that pause. I'm just I'm just looking at Nigel sort of contemplating this number. <laughs> That's very impressive. <laughs> You've, I've, I've sent you into silence. <laughs> It's um, no, it's quite plausible. It's quite if you look back right over time into Powerwall One, Powerwall Two, look at the numbers that are being sold every year. Um, uh, that doesn't actually surprise me. I'm um, I'm I'm disappointed in myself for not having added that up because they are clearly dominating uh, with their technology. But wow, thirty thousand—that's a big number. It is a big number, and it's the um, and it's the first time they've actually revealed it. And um, not only that, she revealed that the number of Tesla EVs this year is going to double from the current number of about twenty seven thousand to more than fifty thousand, which suggests that they're going to be rolling out more than twenty thousand EVs over the next five months. That's about a thousand a week, which is just extraordinary in the context of Australia, and will obviously just be a mixture of Model Y and Model Threes. But it just shows that. Um, one, it just shows the hunger for EVs that is out there amongst Australian consumers, particularly with petrol and diesel prices going through the roof. Um, two, the popularity of the Model Y, um, which is like sort of a, um, a bigger, roomier sort of um, SUV version of the Model 3. Um, and just how much the other big car makers are just missing the boat. I mean, they've been getting just as many inquiries for really good cars like the Ionic 5 and the EV6, but they're only selling about, you know, I think Ionic 5 sold another 111 today or in about 14 minutes um, for a total of 600. And you've got Tesla probably selling already at least 15,000, probably up to 20,000 um, Model Ys. They haven't all been delivered yet and they will be over the next six to nine months, but it just shows that... Um, it just says that just some of them have just been missing the boat. Read the room. Read the room, guys. Come on. <laughs> Read the room. Well, this, look, part the, of it's that. Between uh, stationary battery demand and solar demand and everything else, good grief. Read the room. You know, get some vehicles down here. They will sell like hotcakes. Well, look, part of the problem is, is that um, whatever supply they are getting, they're sending to other countries um, because those countries have vehicle emission standards. Therefore, the car makers feel obliged to send as many as they can so they can actually meet those emission standards and not have to buy sort of credits off, uh, off the likes of Tesla and, uh, and Polestar and others. So it's... Um, and maybe the problem is not so much the car makers, maybe the problem's more like the federal policy makers. And it's interesting that Chris Bowen is now no longer ruling out a vehicle emissions um, uh, policy um, tailpipe, standards. Tailpipe. Um, the coalition I know, floated the I idea. Know. Alicia, I have to say, full credit to you, first time an energy minister has ever come out and actually talked to... You talk to uh, to you guys, uh, and you got him on there. It was so good to hear. Uh, you know, the man in charge of this kind of stuff finally um, 
being interested in sharing some of these good news stories and and talking to the people who know Giles, meaning you. Well, look, look that, that's that, that's right. I mean, um, I, I should point out he hasn't been the first um, energy minister. We've had all the state ministers um, on there at quite regular intervals, but we never had the federal energy minister. Um, possibly because since we've been doing that podcast, the federal energy minister has been Angus Taylor, and he's had no interest in talking to Renew Economy or anyone associated with wind or solar farms um, or EVs for that matter. And uh, it's actually the third time we've had Chris Bowen on. He's been there a couple of times um, when in opposition. One to talk about his Tesla. So it's the first time I've got an energy minister who actually drives an electric vehicle. Um, and um, also he came onto the podcast last year. So um, so that's good value. Um, Nigel, I think we're probably about done for this week's episode. Um, look forward to um, catching up with you sometime soon. Uh, here in um, next week's Great Solar Business podcast. Uh, do check up on the uh, Energy Insiders podcast from this week on solar and storage is the big theme and why that makes sense in sort of you know in in, in big sort of utility scale um applications and uh, we've also got a couple more driven podcasts um rolling out as well so that'll be interesting and nigel thanks to you and i should say you look like you you, you look I mean, this, this is one of the problems of having the video on you look like you're just about to say something and i sort of held the pause there and <laughs> I'm throwing. <laughs> I'm not going to anymore. Um, thanks to you. Thanks to all our sponsors, Clenergy, Sunwiz, and uh, Solar Analytics. And we'll be back with another episode in a couple of weeks. Bye for now. Solar Insiders was brought to you by Clenergy, the providers of high-quality mounting systems for residential, commercial, and utility-scale solar projects. With in-house engineering and projects divisions, Clenergy provides a unique edge with its expert advice. Let Clenergy find the right framework for any solar application. Solar Insiders was also brought to you by SunWiz, Australia's leading service provider for the solar and storage industry. Offering a unique business-wide solution for solar retailers, SunWiz will help you differentiate and automate your business with a tailored implementation. Visit sunwiz.com.au forward slash accelerate and discover how you can boost your profits while working less. Solar Insiders was also brought to you by Solar Analytics. You can now offer solar analytics from just $40 per year by connecting it directly to Fronius and SunGrow inverters. No additional hardware is required, just extra value. Solar Analytics, it's different. Learn more at solaranalytics.com.au.